Good morning. Pastor Matt is in Andover this morning, so I get the privilege of being here. And we are going to be looking at Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through the end of the chapter. So find your way there. And I'm going to read through verse 30. We'll pray. We'll walk through those verses. And then we'll continue on to the last seven verses. Before I begin reading, I want to note that if you are going with us through the machine reading plan, and if you have already done your reading today, you will have seen these verses this morning. A couple weeks ago, Matt started with talking about Venn diagrams. So considering Matt's precedent and the statistical anomaly of having today's sermon text be exactly the text of our reading, I figured I could start with this. And many of you know this about me. I'm a math guy. I will do algebra. I will do trigonometry. I will do statistics. But when it comes to graphing, that's where I draw the line. Let's read, hoping that you have all had adequate time to find your way to Mark 7. Reading from verse 24. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it. Yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman, whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. With that passage setting the stage for our time together this morning, let's pray. Lord, as we continue looking at the Gospel of Mark, please help us to understand what you would have us to understand. Please keep us from distractions during this time and draw us closer to you and to each other because of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I last taught here in October, and when I did, I pulled up this slide. Now, ignore the roots that are sketched all over because those aren't applicable to today's text, but when I taught in October, we were looking at Mark 3, verses 7 and 8, which said, Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed, and also from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. A great number of people heard of all that he was doing and came to him. And my point was that at that time, Jesus was hanging out in Capernaum, which is up there at the north end of the Sea of Galilee, but his fame was spreading everywhere. He was known in uh, the areas of, I didn't mean to hit that one. He was known in the areas of Idumea and beyond the Jordan River, which flows from the Sea of Galilee 
down to the Dead Sea. And he was known in Tyre, and he was known in Sidon, which is about 20 miles north of Tyre and just off the limits of the map. Just for scale, Jerusalem up to Capernaum is about 120 miles. So why am I showing this map today? Because in Mark 3, people were coming from Tyre and Sidon to see Jesus, but today, Jesus is in Tyre. Why is he there? He wants to get away. In chapter 6, after the 12, who Jesus has sent out and they have ministered, they've come back together, they needed a break. They had been busy ministering, and they reconvened in Mark 6.30. And in verse 32, we read that they went away in the boat to a lonely place by themselves to rest a while. Do they rest? No. Many recognize Jesus, and he winds up teaching them and feeding the 5,000. And in 645, Jesus again puts the disciples in a boat and sends them away, presumably to try and find a better place to relax. That leads to Jesus walking on the water. And when he, they arrive in Gennesaret, which is to the northwest here of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus, he is again healing many, which leads directly to Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. If you were here last night, you got to, uh, last week, you got to hear Matt speak about that. So they are looking for rest in Jewish areas, but they can't find any. So in 724, they head to Tyre. And it's worth noting on the map, however, that they are no longer in Galilee or Samaria or Judea, which are all predominantly Jewish places. They are in Phoenicia, which is not predominantly Jewish. But has word of Jesus reached Tyre, where they are now at? Well, yes, because we saw in Mark 3 that people have come from Tyre down to Capernaum in order to witness this guy who they've heard so much about. So, although Jesus is not in Jewish territory, he is someplace where he is not an unknown quantity to the people. And a woman whose young daughter was under the control of an unclean spirit comes to him. Now, note that in verse 24, Jesus is in a house. Jesus and the disciples have secured an Airbnb, and they are looking for an opportunity to relax, and they're finally away from it all. And this woman is going to invade their space. If, if this were modern times, you know, you can picture somebody hanging out, trying to relax in the back corner, a couple people chatting, maybe a few of the disciples sitting on a couch watching Sports Center. They're trying to relax. And this woman, this mom, comes in, they don't know her, she is unannounced, and she falls down at his feet. And you wonder what the disciples thought about that. Well, that's not normal, or here we go again. But 
Mark 7.26 says, Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now I left the map up this long just to show that Syria is up here, Phoenicia is here, so she hails from this region. Again, it is not a Jewish region. Don't miss this. She has very little in common with the people who are in this house. She is a woman. They are all men. She lives in the region. The men in the house are simply guests. And her religious affiliations are not Jewish, although there is a coffee cup that just spilled. Um, the, I didn't know if you had seen it, Nikki. The, there is a religious affiliation that she has nothing in common with these people who are steeped in Jewish tradition. If she has come to seek help based on common associations, she has come to the wrong place. And the New American Standard Bible says that she kept asking. But many translations say begging. She is desperate, and she rightly sees Jesus as her only hope. In Matthew 15, 21, we find the parallel account of today's narrative from Mark 7. And there it says in verse 23, But Jesus did not answer a word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. So Jesus is putting her off. And he has put her off for so long that she has had time enough to become an annoyance by her persistence. But she is a parent who would do anything for her child. So she remains, and she is not going to let their getaway be a bit relaxing. Tim Keller describes what comes next as harsh. Jesus says to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. That has a sting to it. That bites... There are two options that I have found during my preparation for this morning that I think are worthy of mentioning to you. The first is that this was perhaps a proverb that was common to the area in that day. It would be similar to our phrase, charity begins at home. I have commended Don Carson's daily devotional that parallels the reading from the Machine plan to you before. He's also the general editor of the New Bible Commentary, and this commentary goes with that idea, that, that this was a common saying of the day. The second option is best summarized by a commentator named Douglas R.A. Hare, who says, Jesus was convinced that he must not be distracted from his primary mission to his people as expressed 
in Matthew's version of this story, where in Matthew 15, 24, it says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Hare also observes, this conforms with Paul's understanding of the history of salvation, where in Romans 1.16 we read Paul's words to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So regardless of whether or not this was a common proverb, let's make a couple observations that somewhat soften Jesus' words. Notice in Mark 7.27, Jesus does not say no to this woman's request. He says, let the children be satisfied first. He is saying that there is a time that the Gentiles will benefit from the blessings that Jesus is right now inaugurating, but that time hasn't come yet. Second, notice that Jesus' parable or proverb uses the word dog in our modern translation. But the Greek offers something a bit less harsh. There are several New Testament passages that use this, the word dog. Let me read three of them for you. From Philippians 3.2, beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Matthew 7, 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs. And as Jesus is teaching about Lazarus and the rich man, he says in Luke 16, 21, besides, even the dogs were coming and licking Lazarus's sores. The Greek word translated dog in these instances, is kion. But in our passage today, Mark 7, there's a different Greek word there. It's kinarion. I worked hard on that. Which is the Greek word for little dog. The New English Translation Bible includes study notes that add the term dogs in verse 27 does not refer to wild dogs, scavenging animals roaming around the countryside in this context, but to small dogs taken as house pets. It's thus not a derogatory term per se, but is instead intended by Jesus to indicate the privileged position of the Jews, especially his disciples, as the initial recipients of Jesus' ministry. Let me interrupt a minute for Catechism Part 2. Last week's catechism question was, what should we pray? And the answer was, the whole word of God directs us in what we should pray, including the prayer Jesus himself taught us, which John just spoke to a few moments ago. In Matthew's account of the interaction with the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus' response to the woman is divided into two verses. That first one says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then Matthew inserts a verse that says, But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And I only mention this because last week, Pastor Matt said, Sometimes 
Prayer can be long and lofty, but sometimes prayer can be short and direct and as succinct as, help me. And here is a biblical example of that exact type of prayer. Back to today's sermon. After receiving a response such as Jesus gave this woman, how would you respond? I thought about some of my own responses. How dare he? Did he just call me a dog? Who does he think he is? Or we could go nationalistic. I have my rights. That is not where she goes. In verse 28, she makes no appeal to anything that she might think brings her into a position where she deserves this. She observes Jesus' abundance, and in that, she, we find an appeal to, to Jesus' generosity. She acknowledges the priority of the Jews in the parable, and in fact, she builds on that. Here's my paraphrase. She says, no, of course you wouldn't throw the children's bread to the dogs. But if you've got children at a meal, then there is a table where they're eating, and the dogs of the house will certainly eat. Jesus, you are so great that if you would do this little thing for my sick daughter, it would be as nothing to you. It would be as crumbs falling off the table. That is amazing faith. Commentator David Garland notes, this willingness to humble yourself is a key requirement for discipleship and something the disciples of Jesus have difficulty learning. They have trouble receiving the kingdom as little children. She has no qualms about receiving the kingdom as a little dog. Jesus grants this woman's request in verse 29, and in verse 30, we see that the healing of Jesus is confirmed for us. Let me make a point that is not central to today's text, but is worth making, especially in our time. There are a lot of people who don't hold Christianity in high regard. I don't know. Maybe you have never noticed that. Some people use as a bludgeon against Christianity that the Bible is demeaning in its view towards women. And yet, here, in today's passage, Jesus did not send this Gentile woman away. He gave her opportunity to display her great faith, which is an example for both men and women alike. Let's move on second half of today's verses, and read down to verse 37, beginning in 31. And again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hands on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, 
he said to him, Ephathah, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. I'm pulling up the map again because I like maps, and because the text has again discussed geography. Jesus was in Tyre. It says he goes up to Sidon, 20 miles north, and then to Decapolis. Why does one go north to go southeast? I tried finding an explanation to that one, and it didn't make sense. I, I couldn't find an explanation. So I'm going to offer one, take this as my personal sanctified speculation. He went to Tyre, they went to Tyre in order to find rest, and they couldn't find rest there, so they decided to search further away from the Jewish regions in hopes of finding rest. Perhaps. With that in mind, we don't have a sense for how long this journey took them. Was it a couple weeks? Was it a couple months? But we do know that now we are in the region of the Decapolis. And the residents of the Decapolis come to Jesus and ask him to heal a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. Now, from Mark 3 again, we know that the people beyond the Jordan knew of Jesus' fame. So we shouldn't be surprised that they also come to him asking him to do what they know Jesus can do. We have already seen Jesus in the book of Mark heal by touch. We have seen Jesus heal by speaking. We have seen Jesus calm the sea with a storm, and we have seen healing go from Jesus as a woman touches the hem of his garment. This is the first but not the last time we will get to see him use spit. I like commentaries. They try to answer questions that people come up with, and the thicker the commentary, the more questions they're trying to answer. From the book Word Pictures in the New Testament, there was, of course, no virtue in the spittle, and it is not clear why Jesus used it. But several commentators speculate that as Jesus pulls the man aside and not healing him in front of the crowds, he is showing great respect to this man. That he is removing this man from the limelight where this individual perhaps would not have been comfortable. And as he touches the ears, and as he spits and touches the tongue, he is trying to prepare the man for what Jesus is about to do. And if this indeed, stepping aside and not making a spectacle, if that's the reason, I see a parallel for us, and this is not as a reprimand to anybody, but simply a reminder for us all, is our good works should be given in secret, as it were. 
true, Jesus is doing most of his good works to be seen, to authenticate his teaching, to show his supremacy, to show his power. Our good works are to be done in a manner that makes much of him, not of us. And Jesus, he looks to heaven and he sighs. Other versions translate this groan. The commentator Lagrange takes it as a prayer uttered quickly. Jesus says, Ephatha, that is, be open. And we read in verse 35, and his ears were open and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. That is cool. The man's tongue is released from what we saw in verse 32 was a speech impediment. And we're familiar with the way that someone speaks who has had some long-term hearing deficiency. Their speech is just different. But this man now speaks plainly. One of my children had a non-hearing-related speech impediment, and several of the word sounds that he made were just not normal. So we found a very kind speech therapist, and she taught us the exercises to help him with and showed him how to make proper sounds. And after a few months of exercises, his speech came around. His speech was corrected. Now, imagine if the speech impediment were caused by a long-term hearing loss, and he was instantly healed of that hearing loss. Think of how long it would take to get your speech corrected so that you could communicate similar to others. Not here. Again, this man now speaks plainly. But this is even more remarkable for our consideration. In the passage of Mark, the Greek word for speech impediment is only used here in the whole New Testament. This is a one-off. Mark says, this is the word I'm going to use. And you don't find it anywhere else in the New Testament. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and that Greek word that Mark uses is found only one place in the Old Testament, and it's in Isaiah 35, 6. Let me read some portions of the first verses of Isaiah 35, then verse 5 and the first half of verse 6. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon, hang on to that, shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold your God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The Greek word translated mute right there is the same word that Mark used for speech impediment. And not only that, but verse 2 from that Isaiah passage, 
Lebanon is referring to the area where many of the events from today are occurring. Mark has seen the prophecy in Isaiah, and he is saying, fulfilled. Let me start wrapping this up. As we look at a passage of Scripture, it is good and appropriate to say, to ask, why is this narrative included? Why is this narrative included here? What are the questions that this narrative answers? What are some of the questions that this narrative leaves unanswered? And I'm good saying that one of the reasons Mark included this story of the deaf man's healing is because he wanted to give evidence to Jesus being a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. But why include it immediately after the healing of the little girl who had an unclean spirit? Was it just chronological? I don't think so. And I see verses 36 and 37 as being the glue that ties these together. In verse 36, Jesus tells them, the deaf man and presumably the people who brought the deaf man to Jesus, not to say anything. But they do. And the more he says, don't say anything, the more they keep saying, he has done all things well. Today's passage is intended as a blatant contrast to the Pharisees that Matt, Pastor Matt taught about last week. Here are two examples of Gentile people saying, he has done all things well. The Gentiles understand what the Pharisees did not. Both are Gentiles. Both bring nothing. And that's a good reminder as we come to the table today. We are about to enter a time of communion, a time to remember the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. We, like the Syrophoenician woman, and like the deaf man, come to Christ bringing nothing. The Pharisees, they had nothing to bring to Jesus, but, but they just didn't see it. Commentator James Edwards observes that these stories in Mark show that Gentile pagans can find in Jesus what the tradition of the elders mistakenly thought could only be found in the Torah. So as we come forward, let's do so recognizing our dependency on what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, our ears were closed but you have opened them. And with ears that were closed, our tongues had nothing to proclaim. But now, we who have heard can proclaim to all, without restraint or fear of reproach, he has done all things well. So as we come to the table, let us see that our only boast is in you, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.